This is it, people. This is what you've been waiting for. This is Everyday Celebrity Podcast. The podcast for everyday people with everyday problems trying to find everyday solutions to accomplish everyday goals. Let's start the show. You, 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 you. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Celebrity Podcast, number one podcast in Oakland, number one podcast in the Bay Area. Today is a special day. It's Sunday. It's warm outside. And we have a special guest today, like we always do. When it comes to, when it comes to, I don't know, vibes, when it comes to NDRE, Jill Scott, when it comes to Lauren Hill, you think of powerful black women like that. You think of this woman as well. She is an activist. She is a soon to be graduate at the number one private, number one public school in America. She goes by the name of Shani. Shani or Shani? Shani. Shani, okay. (laughs) I keep forgetting that shit. Shani, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. How are you today? I'm doing well. It is a nice warm day. Um, my mm-hmm. kids are with their aunt, so nice day. You have kids? I do. I have two children now. I started with one, but now I have two. Oh, damn. I didn't know that. <laughs> yes. You have two kids? Two kids. Um, one is adopted and one is my own. You have an adopted kid? I have an adopted kid. Is it like an adopted, adopted kid or just like, oh, it's my cousin's adopted. staying at, staying it's at the house? It's black adopted, but... It, oh, it's, yes, very, um, you know, like within the community, but mm. she's been with me for about eight months now. She'll be with me for the future. Oh, okay. So it's two girls or, or what? Two girls. Two girls. Is the father still in the in the lives? You know, my baby daddy is around um, in the term of like he's around, you know, like he's not far away. But we're not together, but um, he's my baby daddy's around um that's a whole part of my story um but he is around and you know, since we're on the subject yeah. <laughs> so you know um um i won't delve to, i guess i'll leave space to even expound more on it but my child's father was extremely abusive um i met him when i was 16 he was 26 mm. um he started beating me up before i turned 17 actually um and i ended up having a daughter with him when i was 24 um and in terms of like how I see our relationship is blessed because I, um, I, I was really scared of him when I left him. Um, I, there was a lot of me that didn't even want to be around with him or deal with him. And to allow my daughter to have a semi, um, semi, I don't know if it's semi healthy, but a, a semi present relationship with him where he can still be a part of her life and I'm still okay with it. Um, is a lot for me. Do I think that, um, there are some ways that he could be more proactive. Yes, but I don't think I'm alone in that. So mm. I'm, I mean, well, I mean, we—I didn't want to jump straight into the ship that <laughs> fast, but, <laughs> but, uh, so let, let's let's back up a little bit. So, you're originally from Oakland. I'm originally from Hilo, Hawaii. Oh shit, my bad. It's fine. Hilo, Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you say when you're from, is that where you spend the majority of your life? Um, at this point, I've spent the majority of my life in the Bay Area, but I was born and raised there until I was 15. Mm, and how was that? 
living in Hawaii. Racist also. Um, it was beautiful. It was safe. It was clean. The food was clean. The water was clean. You know, our property was big and we it, had it, a lot of space. Is that the big island or? The big island. Oh, okay. It's just a like a s- small city on the big island? Um, Hilo is like one side of the island. There's like the western and then maybe the, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, that's not my strong suit. So there's mm. two different sides. Mm. Um, and one side is Hilo. Um, and it's like a small city and a bigger rural space. And you say it was racist. How was it? Uh, how did you experience racism in Hawaii? Cause I mean, people would assume like Hawaii is full of like non white people, like the, the locals, you know what I'm saying? So were they the ones who were racist to you? Uh, extremely uh white people are not liked in hawaii at either but black people across the map um were it felt as though you know because we didn't fit into the box the stereotypical box um that was seen um or any time that there was a problem that was what was uh, reverted to mm. um i experienced all-out racism from being called a nigger in school to being physically and violently attacked like as my brothers got older and seeing like real um really not wanting to be there because mm. of it okay did that uh how did experiencing that as a young kid how did that shape your your views now did you like grow up like hating samoans and shit i mean yeah obviously they're not in hawaii but you know what i'm talking about well my parents have like gave us a secondary education i Mm. always knew who i was as a black person i always felt strong about um what black people had contributed to the world um you know since the first day you know since civilization to now and um i was more to be honest empathetic understanding that like how is it that you could have had the same or similar experiences or be oppressed for many of the same reasons and treat me in this way and also native hawaiian people look a lot like black people so there was also like that kind of like what the fuck you know what i'm saying like why am i having to experience this Mm. um and then when I was like a maybe like 17, 18, I felt a little more animosity. But even still, I understand the structures. Like, I just understand that it's a part of the structure of being like violently oppressed. Were your parents, are your parents from Hawaii? My dad's from New Jersey um, and my mom is from Louisiana. Were they in the military? No, they're not. They, um, my dad was a, an apartment manager at Lake Merritt. Him and my mom met. He fell and like hurt his back and got a settlement. But I, from what I understand, he, it was, he was like so his he was close to paralyzed that they said like you know if you live somewhere where it's cold you're going to be in a lot of discomfort and if you move somewhere where you're warmer you might have like a better time mm. and that's how we got to Hawaii. I mean there's a million places where it's warm. Why did he choose Hawaii? I don't know. I was I was not born yet. Mm. I think uh, maybe they had visited like you know like had a visit before, yeah. liked it and decided that's where they wanted to go. You have siblings? I do. I have two brothers and two sisters. You guys close? We are close. All the same parents? No, me and my brothers have the same father. My little sister has a different father. My older sister has a different mother. So I'm assuming your parents are not uh, together still? No, my dad passed away. Uh, Um, My mom and my dad did uh, divorce when I was eight. So after you left Hawaii when you were 15, you came to California? Yes, I came to California. To the Bay Area? To the Bay Area. I went I went to like San Diego first, Stockton first. I was pretty at that point tumultuous. So I would go like stay with my aunt or my sister, mm. get in trouble and then get sent back home. But what kind of get me to stuck in the Bay Area was my or in California, I should say, was my dad moving out here with me. So you were like a problem child? I was like a problem child. I can see that. 
<laughs> it was it was all i guess it's still in me so you were getting in fights and shit all the time um i was i was having a lot of sex with people i was um trying to commit crimes i was already like in the beginning stage of wanting to steal mm. and take other people's shit and um i also didn't give a fuck but i was a straight a student and so that was like kind of my saving grace through it all that I had this capacity to kind of do well in school simultaneously. So when you say you were having sex with a lot of people, I mean, some people might look at that and be like, um, you were going through some like mental issues or like trying to foster some type of trauma. Is that correct? I think, um, I, when I was, I, the first person that had sex with me was like a 27 year old man when I was like 13. Mm. So, the reality is like um was I didn't, it a cons- uh, like a consensual it was, it was as consensual as any statutory rape is yeah. you know like yeah, as, I understand as that, consensual yeah. as they can get um mm-hmm. in terms of like me thinking at my and at that age of like i was it was the appropriate time or that i was gonna have um i don't even know what i thought to be honest um or that it was something that was healthy for me what um i did that's how you lost your virginity that is how i lost my virginity so you were taking advantage of definitely taking advantage of it will take a long time for me to be able to say that or Mm -hmm. even honor it Mm -hmm. do you know where did i mean after that happened did you continue to was this like your boyfriend or what no uh nick was like a family friend um Mm -hmm. meaning that he knew my dad, he knew my brothers. That's how I was ever acquainted with him. Um, we had like a secret relationship uh-huh. the way that, you know, any child molester and their, you know, the person that they're molesting does. And this was in Hawaii? This was in Hawaii. And his name is Nick? His name is, he's actually no longer alive. Yeah. Uh, I was about to say, what is his last name? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, did you ever tell your, your parents that this happened? I did tell them what when I was What their reaction? About- my dad was mad. He was kind of told my brothers, like, how fucking dare you? Like, you know, this is someone that you guys had around in our house. And like, mm. and what was you paying attention to? He was hurt. Um, I, I was also at that point, like committing a lot of harm also to my own family. So it was a mm. lot of, uh, emotion in general. Um, and my mom, you know, I don't know that she's even ever expressed to me, like how it's made her feel. Mm. So after that happened, um, did you just feel like, okay, well, this is something that I want to keep doing or? I like the feeling of like liking boys and like getting that type of response. I'm mean, definitely open my door to feeling like, oh, confident enough to have sex. One thing I recognize, um, even at that young age is that I wasn't necessarily really comfortable with my body yet. Mm. Um, and did you start developing early at a young age? I was, I think I developed at a normal rate. I started having my period when I was 12. Mm. Um, and I didn't even have it consistently until I was about 13 or 14 body development. I wasn't someone who was, um, uh, developing ahead of time. Mm. So you were normally dating, uh, grown men when you were younger? Well, when I was 13, I initially, my first interaction was with an older man. But after that, I actually started to date kid like younger men from my high school that were my age mm. um and i continued actually to date men that were my age until i was met my child's father my ex mm-hmm. when did you meet him when i was 16 and he was old he was 26 damn all right so um were you uh i mean it's always like a lot of women i mean every high school there's always girls who date grown men there's always that one girl who has a body like a grown woman and she 
She acts like a grown woman. She dates grown men. And, but those women usually hang around grown men. You know what I'm saying? In order to be able to be with grown men. Like the average high school girl is not going to be around like being in the clubs and like being around grown ass men in order to even be talked to or approached. So were you hanging around uh, the majority? Were you hanging out? Were you hanging around in spaces where majority of the men were grown? That's what I'm asking. I have a unique, I guess. <laughs> not, it's not unique. It's just I was hanging around. I've, I've, I have, um, re- I read as asexual. I've always had male friends. So no matter like how it is that what like my intention is, I always have read that way. So I initially started to have male friends and I smoke weed. So I had always smoked weed. And so the people that I would buy weed from were young like me. So we would always smoke together. And through them, I met my ex who was an older male. Explain asexual. Oh, I don't know. What I was thinking in my brain is like someone that just can read is either um, like heterosexual or not like read on a strong gender scale. Like mm. I, I've gotten that a lot. Mm. And you- my voice also, for some reason, makes people feel like I have a more like masculinity to myself. So what do you aden- identify as? I identify as heterosexual. Okay. And a cisgender woman. What's a cisgender woman? I assume that it's a woman that identifies as um, a female body bodied person mm. from birth without surgery. Mm. Um, that's what I would. Uh, that's what I believe that term means or engenders. Okay. So you, uh, so you came to the bay. I mean, well, eventually you came to the bay, and how was it? Uh, from Hawaii to the Bay, Did you, <laughs> were you like shit? There's a lot of niggas out here. That's culture shock, dancing and shit. Yeah, infatuated. I loved it. I loved. I loved it. I still love it. Um, I didn't understand it. I didn't mm. know what it meant to grow up in fucking poverty or to grow up around people getting killed. Mm. Um, or to grow up around crack. I had no fucking clue. Or to grow up in the carceral system. And um. But I fucking loved it. And I remember my baby daddy, He when he first met me, he said, I'm going to come pick you up and I'm going to take you to watch a movie in my car. And I had, didn't even fucking know that people put TV screens in the car, let alone that people put rims on cars. Because in Hawaii, I had never seen or no, experienced that. No, you're talking about like that. a drive through or something. Yeah, I'm like, oh, we're about to go to the movie. I was movies. just sitting in the car. Yeah, like, oh, no, I thought, we, you know, I thought maybe he had misspoken. Uh. And we were going <laughs> to like, go to the movies. Um, uh. And so that's just to give an idea, you know, like for how different it was for me. It was very mm. different. But you liked it. I liked it. It's It was a part of who I am. I still like it. Mm-hmm. So what made, uh, why did you guys move to California? Because I was like, didn't give a fuck. It was like, either you're going to go, let me go to somebody else's house, to my family's house. Mm. I'm about to be 18, like, or I'm about to, I really was only about to be like 16. But in my mind, I was like, fuck it. I'll buy the money. Get it. You know what I'm saying? Get on the airplane, get out there myself. And I think my parents knew that I had that much, um, willpower so you came here by yourself not with your parents i did not but i they i would say succumbed to that part of me that was like i really want to leave i don't want to be in hawaii when you came out here is that uh the time you started to commit like crimes and shit um so i'd come out a few times right i had come and stayed with my aunt like i said and my sister and that didn't work but the time when i came when i was 15 turning 16 and stayed um i didn't initially start committing crimes um mm. i always committed crimes against my dad so one of like my gravest things was that i would always steal from my dad so mm. i would steal money from my dad um 
just whatever, especially as he was getting sicker, I would just steal and steal and steal. And so those are my real, those are like the first crimes I started to commit long before I was even in the Bay Area. Um, and then when I was about 17, turning 18 is when I got heavily into fraud. It's like when I learned how to commit fraud. All right, so we're not going to speak in in depth about the crimes because, you know, I'm a criminal myself. I'm joking. But <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so what high school did you go to? Did you go to high school in Oakland? I graduated from Berkeley High School, class uh-huh. of 2005. Uh-huh. And you were like a straight A student? I was a straight A student my first semester. My second semester, I believe I went to school 28 or 30 days out of the whole semester. And if it wasn't for my mom, who has her master's in like education and mm. has been like through that their systems many times, and told them like you're gonna let her graduate or we're gonna petition you and all the shit that you know you can do to advocate, and I ended up walking the stage. Mm. So um, after you graduated, so you currently go to UC Berkeley right now, right? Yes. And you study what? African American studies with a minor in education. Are your professors? black some of them are some of them are not but uh they're usually not my african-american studies professors my education professors tend to be white or non-black well, yeah i'm speaking specifically about the african-american oh they're pretend, I ha- they're all black would you feel some type of way if you had a white professor teaching african-american studies no because it's um elitist and racist all the same mm. so what made you uh choose cal um my Kimberly Blackwell from Laney said like, Hey, you should try to go to Cal. You're getting a 4.0 at Laney. Um, and I tried just cause it was time to go. It mm-hmm. was like time to, you know, transfer out of community college. Um, mm-hmm. and so it was just like a, an attempt at what I could do. Did you apply to any other colleges? I applied to Mills, Cal State, East Bay and um, San Francisco State. So nothing out of the state. I got no, because I have, I had my kids like yeah. at this point and my daughter was like about six or six, I believe. Mm-hmm. Your child, was this an unexpected child? I guess as unexpected as any child is when you're having unprotected sex, you know, <laughs> like it's very unexpected. I mean, you could have been on birth control and shit. <laughs> I wasn't. So I'm just saying like when uh, you're having like fully unprotected, I think I was fresh out of jail. I'd only been home like three weeks before I got pregnant with mm, her. So when you got pregnant, you were like, you were 100% I'm, I'm keeping it? Yeah, I think I had had eight abortions by that time in my life. So I was pretty wait, 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 fucking wait, 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 torn. Wait, wait, wait. You had eight abortions? In my life, I've had 12 abortions. 12 abortions? I have. Damn. Yeah. That doesn't fe- uh, fuck up your, like, your body or anything? Shit. I think not only probably has it, I think I'm blessed to be extremely healthy and to be taking care of myself um, and to not be heavily, um, I don't want to say addicted, but um, dependent on birth control Mm. to have a much stronger relationship with myself as a woman and my own sexuality Mm. because what people don't tell you and i think it's often lost is how bad it fucks you up in terms of like how you feel um some of the abortions i had were like ones i didn't want to have or ones under duress and um i felt like shit it was fucking felt horrible 12 abortions i can see having one abortion i guess i know women who like it fucked up their mind you have 12 abortions now i mean does that uh i don't even know what question i'm about to ask but how does that affect how do, i mean how does that affect you mentally well i just know that i'm lucky i mm. know that i'm lucky to still have a fucking period every month i know mm. that i'm lucky to be in my right mind i know that i'm i mean i did go through two years of therapy after i left my ex um 
And I just know that I'm really lucky. I really, I really do understand that because I see the effects of um, just not even somebody giving a fuck, asking you, questioning, but also like the ramifications just overall. So mm-hmm. I just know I'm lucky. That's the best way I can say it. Mm-hmm. And your um, your ex, you said it was a it was a bad relationship. So you said it was an abusive relationship, right? It was extremely. How long were you guys together? For 13 years. 13 years? Now, a lot of men, I mean, not even men, but a lot of people will say, if you've been with a person for 13 years, and I'm pretty sure it didn't take 13 years for you to realize that this guy was abusive. And a lot of people will say, well, how come you didn't, (laughs) why didn't you leave the first time he pushed you? You didn't see a sign? How come you didn't leave the first time he smacked you? you didn't I'm not, and I'm not saying that that, that happened because I don't know what abuse you're talking about. But a lot of people would be like, if you saw red flags from jump, how come you didn't leave right then? And to that, you say what? I mean, I had to smile and laugh as if people don't do things that they're abused every day. I think mm. that well, people are walking around the world getting fucked over by everybody all the time. Mm. And the reality is like, if you ain't human enough to recognize that sometimes people do things to you and you let it go, um, or you say you're going to continue to feel that abuse, then that's fine. You know what I'm saying? And I can respect that you don't... Um, Maybe not you, but you know, like someone listening may go, well, I never, I don't feel that way. Cause if someone disrespects me, it's fucking over. Um, and I get it and I'm, and that's okay for me. Number, I was 16. So to be really clear about how fucking young I was, um, but to also be really clear about the fact that like, that's just not the nature of abuse. Mm. Like, um, I was scared. Um, I also was emotionally involved with him. Um, I love my ex to this day. For the fact of the, I mean, to it's, it's, I think one part is that things are not always bad. It's like, if we're sitting here right now and the room shakes, I might not get up and leave. I'll say, well, fuck it. The shaking's over. Maybe we can get through this. Mm. And I think that although abuse is not just the room shaking, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lot bigger than that. And that's yeah. um, a minimal uh, metaphor. Also, that is kind of what happens. It's like, I thought I, I thought I could get through it. I didn't think it would affect me. I didn't realize that I was being affected. Mm. What was the what was the the final straw? Where you get like, yo, I'm done with this man, I'm I'm out. Um, well I had quit committing crimes and I had started going back to school. And I um my I really start to see myself a lot differently. Um I stopped drinking so much bow. I used to drink a lot of promethazine and codeine and like pop a lot of volumes and Vicodins. So when I started going back to school, I couldn't do that because I couldn't stay awake, so it didn't make sense. And so I was like just kind of getting a little more healthy. Um, in terms of, like I said, going to school, not stealing from people, not being a criminal. Um, and my baby daddy hadn't hit me for like 363 days. We were like almost mm. to a fucking year. And, um, he punched me and he fucking, and I was working and I had a normal job when I was grinding and he used to punch me. It wouldn't matter because I didn't have a job. So I could go up in the house for four days and heal and come out like nobody ever knocked my ass down. Mm. But, at work, you got to show up every day or on your shift. And so I had to call in at like three in the morning and say, um, you know, I can't come in because my fucking lip is busted. Um, and there was a few things in that fight, in that moment that happened that I were decisions I had to make right then and there. It was the first time I'd ever called the police on him as a criminal myself. I didn't call the fucking police. Um, as a black woman to a black man, I didn't call the fucking police, mm-hmm. but I had to kind of make that stand. Um, nothing came of it in terms of like ramifications for him or I, but however, um, that 
it just was, it was over. I just was like, I can't, this ain't, I don't want to do this no more. Like, I don't want to miss work. I don't want to be getting my ass beat. I deserve to be loved. Um, and I'm a fucking just take a fucking chance on that. And so I was, I had support. Ashley actually came and picked me up mm. and, um, my mom was like, you know, willing to let me sleep on her couch. Um, did you feel that your mind started changing because your atmosphere changed? Like you were going back to school. So you're around people who are like with goals and like trying to get shit done. And Pe- then, oh, and then you, then you go to, then you're around these people. You're not around like before you were in school. You were just, you said you were just like working like, like odd jobs or whatever. Or I was just grinding. Like yeah, I was grinding. Gonna- so you weren't around people who were like, I don't know, in school, like getting internships at like big companies and shit. So do you think that that being around that atmosphere made you start to realize, yo, I deserve better? People saw me differently. Mm -hmm. My baby daddy and the people we were around saw me as a stupid ass bitch. That was who they, that's who I was to them. Mm. Um, People at work saw me as Shani, this really nice waitress. You know, or people at school show me it's like, oh, this really this girl that's super inquisitive and knows all the answers and is always willing to help and joking. And I start to I had a, enough space with them. Right. To kind of realize like, oh, wow, I'm fucking funny. I'm nice. I'm, I deserve to be loved. I forgot that. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what it was. It, it, I mean, the opportunities were a blessing that came with me being there and like kind of that different. I don't want to say echelon, but that different network of people but what it was is that people i started to see myself through the eyes of people who valued me yes that's dope um one question um why do you feel black men or do you feel black men why do you uh are so aggressive toward uh toward women because i don't know there's a there's a famous interview uh with james you know james baldwin is Mm -hmm. There's a famous interview with him, and he's talking to uh, another black woman. Audrey Lord, is it? I don't even know the, the lady's name, but she she uh, it's uh, it's a famous quote because she tells him the reason why uh, she feels like black men why they treat black women wrong is because the black man goes out into society, leaves the house, goes out into society, right, and gets all this shit from everyone. And then they come back with all of this filled up with all of this anger and the shit that they go through out in the real world. And then they come back in the house and they basically release all of that anger on their woman. And she was said, do you do, do you know the interview I'm talking about? Um, I don't know. I'm thinking of like the interview I know, and I don't remember that specifically. Mm. Um, but Basically, she was, what she was saying is, don't go out to the real world and and then smile at the the white man who treats you like shit, and then come home, and then don't smile at me, the woman who's like who knows your struggle and like that's by your side and shit. You know what I'm saying? My mother told me, you know, she said in any relationship with a black man, just know that your blackness will be the thing that's going to be the hardest for y'all to work through. And what, <clears throat> what I'll honestly say is that even in reference to that is like, um. Why do I feel that? Number one, I don't feel like the black man is so violent. That's not a feeling that I have. Um, I do feel like black men and black women experience extreme fucking trauma in the world. And very often 
we smile in a white man's face to really protect each other. So a black man may smile in a white man's face to make sure that he could provide for the very woman that he's going home and fucking abusing. Mm. And I think that based upon what happened throughout slavery, um, we experienced so much violence. I think black men were taken... I don't think I don't from what I know about African-American history and about African history, I don't know that black men were inherently violent to black women before colonization and specifically before slavery, which leads me to what I believe now is that um, black men do experience a lot of violence Mm. Um, and they experience it in a way that is unrelenting. And I don't know if it's escapable. So meaning that I don't know that there's any place that a black man can go other than maybe inside of a black woman where he was as a child before he came out and maybe not even then and feel safe. And I think that there's a huge disconnect between who we, who as black women we get to be and who black men get to be. Um, and I don't see it going to be really completely honest. I don't see it going in the appropriate direction, meaning that I don't, I see that the, the lack of respect for black culture and the roles that we may or may not have um, is greatly harming the capacity for black families. However, I think that as black men and women are able to uplift themselves, and if it is in a silo or separate from themselves, that it allows for black men and women to build families. So I just think there's two different things going on at the same time. I think the black family is being completely destroyed but at the same time, I see that as black men and women become strong, they're able to come together right once again and create the same unions that they had before or however those unions look, communities, I should say. Mm. Um, black people individually strong can create stronger communities. I know that was like off on a tangent, but I just I don't believe that black men are inherently violent. That was not my experience. I've seen some violent ass black men. Mm. Um. Do you think, uh, why do you think marriage, I mean, well, do you believe in marriage? Oh, for sure. Why do you think uh, black people don't get married that often? Well, shit, now, like, it's like fucking have sex with, have a child with someone for child support is like the going reason for having a baby or why you pick your mate. Mm. Um And I think, I don't think that black people don't get married, but if that is true, that they're not getting married, then I would just say, because it's not like something, individualism is like super real. And people think that, um, what you do on your own is more valuable than what you do together. Not Mm -hmm. understanding like the great African quote or proverb is, if you want to go far, you go together. If you want to go fast, you go alone. So to really understand like how that carries through. Do you think black women, the average, I'm not speaking um, because I don't know your views, but do you think the average black woman respects the black man? No. And I don't think that, I don't know if the average black man respects himself, Mm. but I don't think the average black woman respects the average black man. And why do you say that? Oh, for many different reasons. Equating someone based on their money. Telling somebody that like, if you can't fucking buy me a Birkin, then I can't date you. And not understanding that that in and of yourself is telling someone that that's your worth, that you not that you are only worth a material item. And it doesn't mean that you can't have a Birkin. Mm. That's not what I'm um, proposing. I'm just saying that 
It's no, that's not respect. I don't want nobody to talk to me like that. Yeah, I asked that question because yesterday I I was watching this uh this interview with uh Justin Leboy called respectively Justin, you know that, and he was interviewing the city girls, and then he was asking them all these questions like, oh, what do you see in men? Uh, what was your first date with your the guy that you're with now? Like, and the this the stupidity of these these women. I'm like listening to this dumb shit. And they had an audience full of women, right? This is in Miami. And she was like, oh, well, the nigga came and pulled out a bag and told me to just grab all the money in the bag. And I had a small Gucci push and I can only fit 30000 in, 30000 in. And I was mad. Then this other, the other one was like, oh, well, this guy took me to the furniture store and then basically bought all the furniture from my house and all that shit. And then all these girls were asking them questions like they are just like some like philosophers or some shit like, oh, well, how do you feel about uh, what should I do about this man? And uh, then basically they were all like saying, well, if this nigga can't buy you this, you should put him to the streets. Or if this nigga don't got this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm listening to these girls. I'm like, yo, this is the exact reason why. I don't know if you know who Kevin Samuels is. I was like, this everybody <laughs> know. Come on. I man. was like, this is the exact reason why this nigga is popular because he's saying how stupid these girls are and this fucking uh, how these black women today are fucking up women like young the younger generation, how they're coming up and then fucking their mind up like, yo, this is what you need to look for in a man as well. If this nigga makes six figures. Don't look for that nigga who works a nine to five who's like an electrician or 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 fucking something like that. Don't look for that nigga because he ain't shit. Look for this nigga who makes six figures who's just gonna cheat on your ass and like beat you up and don't even care about you. But this nigga makes sick. he can buy you like a, a Gucci bag. You know, it's this <laughs> how it goes. Anybody can buy you a Gucci bag, including even yourself, right? Is mm-hmm. that is how I always look at it. And you know, like, and I respect all women and I understand like what, um, where these ideas maybe stem from. But what I will say is that it's, it's, um, bullshit on the highest level because a motherfucker don't want to buy you a Gucci bag if you wasn't with him when they was broke. So I, for me in my own experience and what the reality is like, Bitch, you can't just come and meet me on Monday and expect me to drop 30 bands on you on Tuesday and not expect that you're going to jump when I tell you to jump, move when I tell you to move. And so there's there's this idea that you can be respected for selling yourself. Mm. And what we have to understand is, number one, that's not how you gain respect from anyone, even if it is a man that you fucking. And number two, if you want loyalty, which is... And I, I also think it's what's valuable to people, right? And in a world where anything is bought, then loyalty becomes far less valuable. But little do we realize like how hard it is to hold on to your shit without having loyalty in your life. Mm. Um, so I think there's a huge misconception. And then something else you said is like, I don't know what the fuck people think, but the idea about money and how much money people have is far gone. A motherfucker give you $30,000 one time is actually less than if they gave you $10,000 every year over your whole lifetime. So people have these really fucking different ideas about where things are going, what they really mean. And then about also you want a man who robbed a nigga for 50 bands. Okay. So the nigga who pulled up on you with all that bag of money, he might've robbed a nigga for a hundred bands. He came over, he gave it to you. You got 30 in your Gucci purse. Now that nigga's dead on 48 hours the next day. Is that really what you promote in your community? Really? Like as a black woman, 
Do you promote that? Is that what you say? Oh, you know what, nigga? Go ahead and sell fentanyl. It's cool if you can bring me a Birkin bag. For what, bitch? Excuse my language, but for me, that's where I go to in the whole idea. And I am like, once again, for black men to say like, bitch, it ain't that serious. It's not that like, I'm not, I don't want to do that to appease you. Um, and I think that's how I go with that whole idea of that is that everybody has a little bit of role to play. Yeah. What's the most, uh, uh, number one thing you think black women are facing in today's society? Um, just having to carry the world on our backs. And um, having to keep a strong face all the time, not being able to cry, having to um, just not being being able to be pampered. Not I know not being able to feel like you are the worth what you're worth. I think that's what we have to face: not being protected, not being not feeling like people honor us. So you, you you so you think uh black women don't get enough support from uh black men? Um I think when it comes when it comes to issues and shit. Well, I think sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I mm. think it depends on the black man and it probably depends on the issue too. Um I see black men standing up for black women. I see spaces where they don't need to say anything. Sometimes it's black men themselves who just need to be quiet mm. and not cause the harm um that's being done. Mm. Uh, do you know who Dr. Umar Johnson is? Yes. So he says that black men should never date, black men and women should never get married outside their race. And uh, I have no, I mean, he also says they shouldn't date outside their race. Now, I don't have no problems with uh, people dating outside their race, but I do agree with him. You shouldn't marry outside your race. Do you agree with that? I don't know. I can't speak for everyone. Yeah. I will not marry outside of my race. And why is that? I love black people. I don't want to be with any. I don't want any other kind of children. Mm. Um, I want to have about fifty of them, little black kids running around here the best <laughs> I can to make up for, <laughs> um, you know, the babies that aren't being had because mm. of the oppression. So I, I, um, I think it's normal. I think uh, it's stigmatized when we say it. Yeah, so my my reasons is because if you marry outside your race, like let's say, like I mean, I said this many a times on this podcast. If a black man marries a white woman, that white woman she could be woke as fuck, like she can think she's woke and all this other stuff, understanding issues. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, that white woman would never be able to understand how you feel when someone calls you the n-word or how you feel when you get pulled over by the police or how you feel if you're walking into a store and then everyone's like looking at you and shit like that that white woman would never understand she will never be able to console you as as a wife when you guys get home she will never be able to teach your son that you guys have or your daughter how it is to walk around in this racist world as a as a person of color she will never be able to teach a, a young mixed race woman and you could say mixed race but society's gonna look at that dark that girl as a black woman she can never teach that black woman how to be a black woman you understand what i'm saying and uh and the man can't because even though you're a black man you can't teach a, a, a black woman how to be a black woman like that's for the mother to do so that's my reasons of marrying not marrying outside your race do you agree with those statements Yes, and someone else before us, um, I'm not going to pull the author up 
but out of Professor Lee Rayford's class, um, we just recently read this last semester, um, that specifically is a black man to a white woman will always be a nigger and a slave. So mm. when we look at the level of hierarchy and respect, um, there is no way for a black man and a white woman to be married and for the black man to be to take his position in the house. It's yeah. impossible based upon our society. And also, I think the I mean, when interracial marriages happen, I also believe that the white woman is, is just an infatuation. Like I'm infatuated with it because when you when you talk to when you talk to white women and say, oh, why do you why do you like black guys? Oh, I just love the way they're so stylish and cool. Oh, I love the way they dress. I love the fact that they're big and they I feel protected when I'm around them. So it's basically like an infatuation. When you ask black women, oh, why do you love the black man? Oh, it's a more like spiritual uh, uh, thing that they say. Oh, I, I don't even know what to say, but it's more, <laughs> it's more in detail. You know what I'm saying? It's more, uh, it's more organic, their views on, uh, on the black man. So yeah, that's, that's one reason why. I think, you know, um, if you'd ask me, like, why do I love black men? I would say because I love myself. Mm. And so when we look at that answer, then it becomes mm. impossible, right? Mm. Okay, so um, let's move on to your your life at Cal. How long have you been going to this university? I've been at UC Berkeley for a year now. And you're a grad student? or I am a third year junior, and this is my senior year coming up. So I transferred from Laney, so I spent a year there. Mm-hmm. And when you went to Cal, how was, uh, so you've been going to, have you, were you at Cal before COVID? I started Cal in, in COVID. I had did like a month and a half or two months on campus and then Corona hit. Okay. So you haven't really experienced like the, the pre-COVID college life. Um, I guess I'm, and I'm with like a student parent, transfer student, right? So mm. college life to me is just like going to class. Mm. Um, I guess I experienced it for those few months, and then now, yeah, everything's on Zoom. Have you met a lot of uh, black students? I know a fair amount of the black students. I have met a few of them, and most of them are in my African American studies classes. So, given my major, I think I've met most of them. Are all the black students in African American student classes? Mm. No, but most black students tend to take at least uh, maybe a minor or a class in African-American studies, as well as the, it's a 4% black mm. um, at Cal. And most, and then I think it's like of that 4%, there you also have the student athletes. So I always, uh, I mean, I have mixed feelings when black kids take black student, I mean, African-American classes, because I'm like, you're a black, you're a black person. You don't need to go to class to learn black, uh, to be black or black history. You can learn that shit on your own. You know what I'm saying? You can learn that shit, uh, talking to the, uh, to the OG on the block. He can tell you some black history. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to go to class and spend thousands of dollars learning this shit when you can, uh, go there and learn about business or, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Take, take that, uh, spot that's, that's being filled by African-American studies, remove it and then replace it with something that you can't learn on your day-to-day as being a black person. I think that when black people know their history Mm. and if it was taught from preschool, that's totally appropriate. Like if people had access to African-American history and their entire, you know. But do you think they're they're teaching like the real black history in these schools? I don't think so. I think, um, I think, 
it's extremely racist. Like I said, also, it's a very, very white supremacist view. Um, and I think what misses the spirituality, if I'm just going to be completely honest about the fact of like where black people have to underlie their connection with maybe their God or God just in general, um, is what misses in academia. And you're not going to hear about it in African American studies, but it reeks through the text that you read. Mm. Um, so that's what's missing. But also I think that you right now, it's so necessary because if I don't learn it, how am I going to teach it? And so sorry, there were quotes for everyone who, if I don't learn it in quotation marks, um, how am I going to reteach it, right? This curriculum that is accepted um, and it is empowering. So although like it's not, um, you know, the top quality or the truth per se, yeah. it, it does empower in a way more um, effective way than European history does. Because, because even though you have a black professor, that black professor has a has to go by the fucking white cur- notions of the white curriculum yeah. that they're setting for him to teach. He's, he can't teach you ex- the, the exact, the real truth of black history because obviously they don't want you to know the truth, the real truth. So they're not going to teach you that shit. They don't want you to know the real truth. And on top of that, they can't teach you that and they can't grade you in a way that's intrinsic. Mm. So the system of grading is white as fuck. There's nothing on like you mean to tell me that if I write something on a test, I know it. But if I could spit that shit back to you in a conversation, I don't know it. Mm. Um, so there's this all that fuckery, too. That's super ingrained. And in that for me, that's where I am just to get the most irritated, like. You know, how do you tell a black woman who's been through my experience that I don't get an A in African-American studies class? Bitch, I'm here. Give mm-hmm. me the fucking A. Yeah. Um, but that's not how they see it. Do you think uh, Cal, um, Cal provides enough uh, resources to people of color, students? I think um, that, I guess... Anything is better than nothing. Um, and that ain't that. No, that ain't acceptable. <laughs> Fuck that. No, I'm just saying. Like, Fuck that. Anything's better than we don't want scraps. You um, know? you know, I think this. Cal is get, looking at being a Hispanic serving institution, meaning that they'll serve 25 percent, 25 percent Hispanic students by a certain year. They do not have a quota for black students. So for me, I just say it's a fucking load of shit. Um, mm. And I mean, they provide what they can. They have a lot of money. Like UC Berkeley is going to provide a lot just in general, but do mm. we get our reparations? Not at all. Because like how any school that has a dorm, right? And has a specific floor for just black students that tells you that there ain't a lot of, not enough black students at that fucking school. It's called, I mean, I heard, I'm pretty sure you heard of the Afro floor at Cal. I have not uh, heard well. of the Afro floor. <laughs> is that a place for my? Those are probably my younger students. My yes, uh, it's a it's a, it's a it's a dorm, and it's it's so you know all the dorms on campus, right? Full of full of kids. There's a specific floor on this one dorm where they house all the black students, and it's called the Afro floor specifically. And that's where it, on this floor is nothing but black students, and they can fit literally fit all the black students that go to Cal, all the undergrads that are required to live on campus, they can literally fit all them students on this one floor. They're all black. Yeah, you need to learn, uh, that need to learn is, your fucking um, school. I mean, I'm, I, I will just say that I think that black people like to live next to other black people. So my, I'm okay with black people being together, 
I mean, but, yeah. Um, I do. I hear exactly what you're saying in the sense of a uh, one floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've been, you there, you're there during COVID. So when shit starts opening up, and then you're walking around, and you're seeing all these, you're seeing black girls with, and walking around in groups with nothing but like Asians and whites, and you're like, how come you ain't? Well, I how mean, come I you're know. not talking to the black other black kids? And they're like, they're all whitewashed black kids and shit. Like, so you'll you'll see that a lot. Well, I see it because I'm a underground scholar, and so I'm a black previously incarcerated. So most black people don't align themselves with other black previously incarcerated people mm. because of the stigma that comes with it already mm. they're black they don't want to be previously incarcerated too mm. all right so you're working on um tell me about yeah tell me about college. this program that you're working on at Cal. um so through the underground scholars i have the incarceration of college program um i teach in alameda and contra costa juvenile hall in custody out college outreach classes it's a six-month curriculum um i created it myself and um, we go through basically everything that a college counselor would go through with a student if they weren't being tracked from a young age out of education so the premise for the need for the program is that a majority of students that are in Urban communities, um, continuation schools and court schools are already have been tracked out of the um, college track education. So they actually lose all of the understanding about like what it means to go to college credits, you know, personal statement writing, scholarships, all of that. So I kind of take them through that in a six months process. Um, I use or the methods that I use are increased um, access to information. So that's increased access to college information. Um, affirmations so verbal and written affirmations, multicultural curriculum and a culturally relevant instructor to imbue in them the importance of going to college, but also to make them feel like they could actually do it. Because a lot of students are feeling like they want, they'll tell me, they'll write it down like, I want to get a PhD. But in terms of like, do they feel like they could do it? They're feeling like, no way. Mm. And what got you passionate about that? Shit, I was um, doing outreach with the underground scholars. I was going into jails and like paneling, you would call it, or like telling them about the underground scholars. And I went to the juvenile hall in Contra Costa. And it was about 19 um, young men in there, all black and brown. And I said, you know, who's about to graduate? And they all raised their hand. And I thought, well, fuck, like this is a time to go to college if you're about mm-hmm. to graduate. Um, and I just saw the vacuum. I just saw the need. And I just said, well, this is a good place for me to do my work. Um. Do you get a lot of support from the from nat- the black and brown community? I get enough. I know I don't. <laughs> right. So let's just be honest. Like I fucking tell my niggas in the street. I say, send me some money for these little motherfuckers for real. I say they getting out. You know you fucking been here before. You niggas yeah. is all balling and shit. Yeah. Run me a couple hundred dollars. They don't even do shit. And mm. then I tell the motherfuckers in academia. They act like they broke as fuck or they can't let a nigga know where it's at or. This grant writing shit where I got to like figure out how to write the grant, which I do, and I manage all that shit, but then wait for 50 ever hours, you know, or days or until they want to tell you to get some money back. Um, And then I actually have to do the fucking work myself. Mm. So like, it's a whole lot of shit. And then I, there's people who get out of jail who call me and I help them. And that's a real ass thing to do. Mm. Um, So no, I don't get a fucking enough support. I don't get enough support from not one aspect, not the professional, not the non-professional, not the working class, like just... It's just amazing, but I guess I'm working on that, learning how to, you know, make people want to get involved. Mm. Are you the only one uh, working on this, or do you have like a team? Or- I have 
some high school interns who do like a, a lot of the research. Um, so there's Dakota and she's been with me for like almost a year and a half now. Um, she's super, super great. And then I have Amari Marshall, who's a student at Piedmont High School. He picks out like music, um, for me to play for the students, um, mm. while we're doing Zoom. And then Isaiah Payne, he's like my youngest intern. He's 13 and he's great. He sends motivational quotes. So I use that so that I'm not like far off in terms of like the youth and the age of like the information in terms mm. of, uh, motivational and music that they like to hear. Um, and then I work with Prentice Mail. Also, I just recently brought him in as a case manager as a few of my students have started to come home from jail and they now need support outside of jail. Mm. Oh, and my mom, Catherine Creighton Shea, who like literally reads over everything, make sure that my, you know, everything's correct. Nice. Well, I do think that's a dope, uh, dope thing that you're doing. Um, and a lot of people, this is the first time I ever heard someone like doing that. So that's, uh, that's commendable. Thank you. Where will, uh, where do people, if they wanted to donate, where, like, where do they go? Uh, systems impacted college youth fund. Mm. Um, and so that's on GoFundMe. I don't know the like IRL, you know, like whatever the URL. Um, but you would look it up. There's a picture of a young black man on there and it says incarceration to college. You can look and link onto the page and kind of look at the website and then it kind of shows you what the breakdown of the money is for. Mm. So do you think these kids coming from incarceration, do they like honestly have a chance of getting accepted into these colleges? Shit. Fuck. Yeah. Or are we just still in the dream? What? They got a real big chance. If I did it and I fucking went back to school, mm. they can do it way better. Mind you, they just coming out of high school. They're young. Their stories are uh, these little motherfuckers. Some like one of my youth is just did two years. He's 19. Mm. If he can just manage to get to community college and tell a motherfucker when it's time to go to a four year. Hey, yeah, it's me, the motherfucker who was out of, you know, in jail for two years, <laughs> fucking for, as a child, you know, and then been getting kicked out of school since I was in the second grade. And now I'm here. I got a 2.7 or a 3.4. Yeah. Um, they can get into college and the fucking transfer admission guarantee program. That shit is like, all you got to get is, I think, a, a B or a C average to get into nine of the UCs. Like, they don't know, though, mm. and they don't feel confident. So, yeah, I think so. I not only do I think so, I know so because it's the story of myself and like all the other underground scholars. Mm. Nice. Well, just like Ice Cube said, either they don't know, don't show, or don't care what's going on in the hood. Now, I don't know what how that uh, is relevant to this, but I just wanted to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> So when it, when are you finishing school? Next year, spring twenty twenty two. But I am gonna apply for my master's mm. or my PhD. I don't, I have it's all happening this in the next seven months. You so. want to go to grad school at Cal? Fuck it. You need to go to Hampton University. That's where I see you. But I don't want to move. Why not? Because these children on my ankles and you my could take them with you. I know, but I got my mom here. They got their dads and their grandmas and like you know. If you call this nigga and be like, I'm going to Hampton to get a graduate, to grad school. No, you think he's going to be like, no, support. you need to stay here. Everybody's going to support, but they just got their little life here. And I see that. I'll do Stanford. Stanford. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, I'll do what's here. You know, like, mm. I, I don't want to leave. Um, For many, I, I do feel like my daughter guys deserve to um be stable. It ain't that hard. 
I mean, it's, you know, like, and I and in the future, maybe when I get my PhD and they're in college or, you know, they're a little bit older, then maybe something different. So what do you want to get a PhD in? I would probably be education. So after you finish all your schooling, right? What do you what do you want to see your your life? Right immediately, like quick plan. Um, well, like let's say five years after you finish school. Um, five years after I finish school, I want to have the incarceration of college program uh, a machine, meaning that I could leave it if I needed to. Mm. Um, but I would be happy to still be running it. You know what I'm saying? Like that would be great. Um, mm. I want to have have a few pieces of rentable property so number one like i don't have to fucking worry about my income mm. also i have a little bit of capacity to like let my fucking rent there mm-hmm. okay and uh do you feel like that's gonna happen yes i do um <laughs> i feel like no i'm gonna have to work the credit system the best way i can i mean you know in terms of like being in jail and being a fuck up for 13 years it had like a strong impact yeah. <laughs> on how i look um however i've been able to like really manage my shit and do it really well and i've been really blessed in terms of like some of the ways i've been able to create for myself so um i do see it as a possibility i just see it as something i to be honest it's more being ignorant like not understanding the steps of getting to those places. Mm. So becoming more um, financially liter- literate and also like more literate about what it means to go into home ownership. But I don't feel like I'm too far off, to be honest. I just feel like it's few, you know, getting there, doing it. Now you keep saying jail, uh, jail. You, I mean, you don't have no felonies and shit, do you? I have seven felonies. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> you have seven felonies. I have seven felonies. I caught my first felony when I was 18. Caught my last felony when I was 27 or 28. Damn. So that little three strikes you out ruled in a... Uh, I don't uh, have go any violent felonies. I never have been someone who's committed any violent crime, so I never was striked. It's the worst crime you've ever done. Worst? I'm a money crime person. I was yeah. always stealing people's uh, credit cards from the internet, so... Worst was, you know, the money that I took, I mm. would assume. Okay. I knocked an old lady over one time <laughs> when I was 19. I was 18 or something. Wow. But listen, she, it was, I was being chased. No, it ain't no excuse for that shit. <laughs> it wasn't an excuse, but I was being chased by um, loss prevention, my arch enemy at the time. And <laughs> I didn't see her. And um, everyone was fine. Like she didn't get hurt. And she actually was like, those mean men were chasing her. They thought that I was the one in trouble. Um, Did you like accidentally bump into her and she I fell or you pushed her? I bumped into her. I didn't push into her. I was running and I just like accidentally hit her. And I apologize. Just so you know. Oh, uh, you stopped and said, I'm sorry? Or you Not did? at all. I, I apologize now because I have the time at uh, the time. First of all, she <laughs> might be dead already. So She was not. She died. She, she went to not. the She went to the grave thinking that this <laughs> girl pushed me down and didn't give a shit. She did not. And I'm just saying now, apologize again. Mm. Well, to her grandkids, she she's sorry what she did to your grandmother. That probably caused her death. Oh, my God. It did not. Also, it did not read the court transcripts. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. we'll lean on that. All right. All right. So, um, this is the point of the uh, the conversation where I give you your little your, your time to, like, promote whatever you want to promote. If you want to shout out your Instagram, if you want to tell the people where they can, again, where they can donate, or if they just want uh, information on what you do. And if I mean, whatever you want to give the people, if they want to reach out to you. 
Okay. Um, all right. So thank you so much for listening and please, um, check out the incarceration of college page. So incarceration to the number two college, uh, that's the Instagram page. Check it out. Please donate to the GoFundMe. If you are interested in learning more about Shawnee Shea, please check out my Instagram page. It's Shawnee Shea all day. Um, However, you can just like find me LinkedIn on my um, incarceration to college page. Like that's the one to go to first is the incarceration to college. And um, if you think that I would be someone who would help you or your company or your um, public defender's office or your education office work through some of the many issues that we see in education, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm always happy to work with others. I'm doing workshops and training um, in that sense. Otherwise, just thank you for listening and donate, donate to incarceration to college. Um, I cannot stress enough how important it is that we support our previously incarcerated youth Make sure that they have access to a college education and make sure that they're able to get the college degrees that they want. Um, and just know that as you support me, I continue to support them and I'll continue to share my work with you all. And just once again, um, thank you for listening. Yes. And everyone, please donate and then donate some more and then contact your family members and tell them to donate. And there is a such thing as white guilt. So all you white niggas who feel guilty about your ancestors, donate. Donate a lot. Because we need our reparations. So I might as well go to helping these young bad niggas. Yeah, right. <laughs> running around on the street. And yeah, just try to get them in college and get them out of the jail system. Because we all know that's not, definitely not for the black and brown. So... Until we can change that, uh, the world will still be racist America. And until we start electing people that look like us, who went through shit that we went through, who know our struggle, uh, yeah, we will never be able to change these laws and hold racist people, racist police officers, racist judges and lawyers accountable for trying to keep us on a level that's below them. Because they know if the black black people know exactly their worth, we will take over. And then obviously the brown people will follow us. And then when they follow us, the Asian niggas will be like, shit, we ain't finna stay on that side. We finna go with these niggas. And when that happens, the Indians will be like, shit, I didn't like these white niggas in the first place. So we go ride with y'all too. Then the niggas in Puerto Rico, they're going to be like, shit, we niggas. So you definitely know we coming with y'all. Dominican Republicans, they coming too. And then there's going to be a whole bunch of white people be like, shit. <laughs> I too would like to go. <laughs> <laughs> May I come please? <laughs> so they going to come. So anyway. Just do the right thing and donate. You know what I'm saying? That's the first step. And support. Support can be something as little as giving $5 or just spreading a word to someone who can give $100. So anyway, thank you, Shawnee Shea, for gracing me today, uh, Everyday Celebrity Podcast. Do you have any last words? Um, I don't. Thank you very much. Like I said, check out Incarceration to College. Donate on the link. 
And, you know, I appreciate everybody listening and everything that was said. I appreciate just that last that last little story we went through right there was powerful <laughs> for me. And, um, yeah, y'all have a good day. We are out. You. Yep.